You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number... What are we up to? <laughs> 1206. And it is entitled, Who Dares Warps? Our podcast title is First Woman. And the reason why we're talking about that today is, well, the new doctor is in town. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Mm. Not in our town, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm just going to move my microphone down to a more comfortable thing. Just listen to this. <laughs> Sound effects live on air. Okay. Uh, well, the first thing is that uh, Marvel's Iron Fist has been cancelled. Well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> not surprised, yeah. Um, Is that the... F- oh, no. That's not the first Netflix thing that's been... No. They, things... I mean, obviously, there have been things that just met a natural end. There's not many... That's probably one of the bigger things to be cancelled fairly early on. Not many Marvel ones cancelled overall. No. In television. But some of them have been over time. Mind you, used to get, go back a long time for some of the other ones. So, Anyway... I mean, um, yeah, so, but they said, and this is how they put it, we're thankful to the fans who have watched these two seasons and for the partnership we've shared on this series. While the series on Netflix has ended, the immortal Iron Fist will live on, which suggests cameos. They're going to, yeah. yeah, or they're going to try it. They're leaving it open to have another do-over at another mm. time, maybe. Mm. I mean, I'd look, it's not much of a loss. I mean, it's disappointing, obviously, but yes. not for me, but I guess for some people. <laughs> Well, I actually thought it was hitting its stride in the second season. It took took long enough. And it could have been too, and but they've just not given it that space. But look, you know, yeah. limited funds. Hmm. Anyway, uh, we will go straight into a discussion about the woman who fell to earth, which is the new Doctor Who story. That was last week. There's a new one on today. Um, but because of the way it's dropping, I didn't feel right to discuss this morning's episode. Mm. Now, because there'll be a limited number of people who have watched it. I mean, real hardcore Whovians, but, you know, people have got to get up and go to work and all sorts of other things. They're just not going to have watched it. So I'm going to pretty much follow that as a review style for the 11th season. Have a one week to watch each one. Yeah, if you haven't, then too bad. (laughs) So plenty of spoilers. You've been warned. (laughs) Yeah, plenty of spoilers about the woman who fell to earth today. Now... With these uh, <coughs> regeneration ones and series starts, there's, there's a whole bunch of things going on here. Mm. We've got a new showrunner. We've got uh, a new doctor. We've got a new sonic screwdriver, a new costume, new companions, and they usually do a, a makeover for the uh, the TARDIS interior as well, though we've not yet seen that. And also <coughs> a new composer as well. Oh, Which, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, Sagan Akinola is taking over from Murray Gold. Okay. So this is not a great recording of the, the new theme. We had to wait until this week to actually hear it in its entirety because um, both the ABC and the BBC in their wisdom stood on the... Uh, the actual credits. The, the credits, which were... They didn't play it at the start of the first episode. Oh, they played yeah. it at the end. Yeah. Um, 
and they just put ads and stuff in it for the Whovians um, show. But you don't want to give away who's in the credits. No, but it, it kind of it plugged into the... Um, you couldn't hear the music, really. So this is kind of the first time we've heard it on the opening of this week's episode. This is Alistair Reynolds, creator of the Revelation Space series. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G on 3 Triple R FM. Fasten your safety belts. You're in for a bumpy ride. So there we are. That's the new Doctor Who theme with heavy quotations from the original um, 1963 Delia Derbyshire Radiophonic Workshop Doctor Who score. So and that's a new one for this season. Yeah. Do they, they don't do a new one every season? Um, generally they do, actually. Uh, it, it's changed over, over time and space, but um, in this case they, they did indeed a new one. And so it's it's like... It's been a while since we've had such a big change mm. in all the gears in Doctor Who. Now, this is the eleventh uh, season of new Doctor Who since the um, uh, since the uh, the return of the series. But I think it's like thirty um, seven <laughs> series, um, or thirty six. I can't remember. But uh, depending on whether or not you include the nineteen ninety six the, the telly movie. So there's all sorts of ways of looking at this. But, um, yeah, and Peter Capaldi, the 12th Doctor, is no more. Mm -hmm. We saw him disappear and regenerate. And now uh, this is the 13th Doctor. Okay, you can start playing with numbers and stuff, depending on how you look at it. But we'll go with the official version there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, of course, have been watching Doctor Who since the 1960s um, to the from the end of the Patrick. Sorry, from the end of the William Hartnell era uh, onwards, ever since. (laughs) Um, But you're new to this, yes. So, I mean, I think. You find often, you know, there's so many great nerdy things out there. I often find people generally have one large pocket of something that they just never got into or they never really had a friend that just showed them one episode and got them hooked. And so Doctor Who is kind of my big gap or my black hole of nerddom. So this was actually, I watched The Woman Who Fell to Earth and that was the first full Doctor Who episode that I can remember watching. Wow. So, yes. (laughs) But you, you were could telling say me, short version. Yes, I'm new to Doctor Who. But you were telling me that you were up on the iconography, the the um, the police box, the cosplay. Well, uh, I, I mean, I go to enough conventions, I do enough nerdy stuff that you you know, you, it's like the general population is well aware of some of the key Harry Potter symbolism. Mm. You know, so you kind of know this and that. Does, but yes, I'm somewhat well versed. Do you do you know what a police box is? Most people don't. Like. A real one, yeah. Is it like a phone box that only calls the police. Yes, ah. that's right. It do, it's not um, automatic, though. Of course, the policeman has to get into it. <laughs> do they but, still exist? Um, yeah, there are some preservation ones uh, that are still around. And uh, ironically, most people know them more from Doctor Who, yeah, <laughs> from their original purpose. But um, actually, made of concrete uh, for the most part. I think some of the early ones might have been made of strong wood. But the idea was that you could lock up people in them. Oh. Uh, and use the phone on the outside to call the police. to call the to call the rest of the uh, the force in to take them. So it was like a like a single containment cell. Yeah, they also used to do things like keep their raincoats in there and you know stuff whatever they light sort of things that they'd need. Does it look like the TARDIS? Is yeah. it blue? They used to. So they blue. look just like that. Oh, they had different you know different ones, but yeah, blue basically. <laughs> so that's what they are. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> so. We're um, here with the the new Doctor Who episode, um, 
everything's changed. Chris Chibnall is our showrunner, um, English television writer born in 1970. Um, Torchwood he's worked on, the oh. Doctor Who spin-off. Also Broadchurch, mm-hmm. where David Tennant and the new Doctor Jodie Whittaker, two of the Doctors actually, <laughs> were uh, stars. He's done a lot of theatre writing. He worked on both series of Life on Mars. Oh, cool. Uh, helped develop the series Merlin and was showrunner on the Camelot series. Um, he was also the showrunner on Law and Order UK and he's written several new Doctor Who episodes. It's a Law and Order UK? I've yeah. got to get into that. And, and a long-term Doctor Who fan, you know, so he's got he's the full scarf of, as mm. Doctor Who fans go. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, so he also wrote this episode. I mean, it's big responsibility, isn't it? Oh, it's it's massive. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, you know, and the sharks, the, the fan sharks are out there circling, waiting for the stuff yeah, up. Yeah, the bar is set high from what I understand. Yeah, and of course having a, um, a, a new female Doctor Who was mm. a, a big thing for some people, but not for me. I understand, I, you know, I'm fully up on the idea that representation matters and I, I love the idea of that, but... Honestly, a mere gender swap mean, is meaningless to me considering mm. I'm used to characters swapping species, and, uh, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like oh, oh, yes, that's how you Terrans used to think in the 21st century. <laughs> if you've read the article on uh, diversity in comic book characters that I wrote for the Last Trip magazine... Um, you know, I'm, I'm serenely untroubled by all this. It's science fiction. I'm used to way more than a mere six impossible things before brekkie happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they prepared the way too in Doctor Who. It's not even like it's not canon because they had the master, the Doctor's arch oh, yeah. nemesis, change into Missy. Mm. So we've already done that. We know that Time Lords from Gallifrey can do that. So where's the big whoop? Or the big warp, as they say in Doctor Who. Warp is the uh, the written um, version of the noise that the TARDIS makes when it materialises. You know, it's like warp, warp, or something like that. Anyway, um, I thought Jodie Whittaker was fine. Yep. She's enthusiastic. Uh, and the script nailed the character's grace notes. Some butte speeches and uh, the sort of screwball asides that the Doctor is known for making that... Makes sense to her, but not much to anyone else around her. Including a first-time viewer. Yes. <laughs> uh, I love the bit where she says, um, uh, and of course these are all spoilers if you haven't seen the first episode, uh, where she says that she doesn't go to places that are just initials. Oh, is that like a thing? Yeah, well, it is now. <laughs> but, but if you look back in the, Doctor Who's, in, in the Doctor's past, um, a lot of the things that she's had to deal with have had initials like UNIT. Um, which was a, an overreaching military organisation that she was part of for a while. In fact, I suppose she still is. Um, I thought the pacing was really good. Mm-hmm, we, mm-hmm. we all we land in, literally the Doctor lands in Sheffield, um, uh, which gives her an opportunity to interact and recruit three new companions at least. Is uh, that common? Is there usually that many? Uh, it's rare, but it has happened before. Um, you know, I mean, you go back to the... Fifth Doctor, Fourth Doctor days, you've got um, Adric, Tegan, Turlow. You know, they, they, they mm. sort of vary. But Free is actually a, 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 a quite strong posse for the Doctor. <laughs> At times, during the transitions, they've often gone companionless. Yeah. But now they just bang straight into it, I guess because of the way that Capaldi's one played out too. Um, I thought it was a pretty fine start to Season 11. I mean, we've got a... 
a story where there's a almost a predator story where there's an alien <laughs> whose name sounds like Tim Shaw, which is a a British um, presenter hmm. uh, and interviewer and comedian. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but also there's one in Australia too. <laughs> so there's, it's, it's kind of funny anyway in, in that sort of referential way. Uh, and, and he was – he'd come to Earth in order to um, win the leadership of his alien race by hunting down and um, trophying a, a particular human. And I don't know about you but um, – that sounds like still a better way of choosing a leader <laughs> than anything that the Americans or indeed the Australians have got at the moment. <laughs> and he was a classic scary Doctor Who monster. They're very good at bringing out primal fears. Mm. Uh, and in this case, he was collecting teeth and sticking oh, them on his face. Gross. You find that was yucky? It was good. Yeah. I thought it was good though. Yeah. Cause, good but idea. then you're just thinking like how he gets the, the new tooth to stay there and his mind goes wild. Yeah, maybe... Dental glue or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, or, or it just, anyway. Yes, anyway. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of feeling that's kind of um, linking into, like, the tooth fairy sort of stuff, you know? Because mm. they do that on Doctor Who. They'll take um, something like uh, blinking and turning that into a, a, a monstrous, have, having yeah, monstrous right. connotations. So they do that a lot. So I thought that was a, a good start. And... Um, there's, there's little things in this. I love the fact that the Doctor gets to make her sonic screwdriver on screen. The TARDIS has often in the past built it for her and just issued it. Because they have a new one each time. Yeah. They, oh, have, they have their own They outfits. eventually get one. Yeah, right. I mean, that's some... I mean, I know it's not the point, but that's some very clever merchandising on the part of the BBC. Oh, Brand yeah, new sets of everything per yes, season, you know? Yes, new action not figures. Not messing around. Or a Barbie in this case. I think that's the first one, uh, um, 13th Doctor Barbie that's coming out. I mean... There hasn't actually been one of those before. Yeah. I guess that's good. I can't. I don't know how I feel about that. But <laughs> let, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, okay. Well, um, I want to play a, a little track here from um, Doctor Who Season 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, just while we gather our thoughts a bit more. Uh, and this is from the um, Murray Gold's old soundtrack. Uh, and <laughs> old soundtrack. He's old dead soundtrack. to you now. He's, he's gone now. <laughs> oh, no. There'll still be a tenth season soundtrack issued at some stage and um this is just uh the season opener for season nine the magician's apprentice and the wish witches familiar <laughs> how it's pronounced i think hello this is paul mcgann i play the eighth incarnation of the doctor and you are listening to three triple rfm we had Murray Gold there with the magician's familiar, uh, the magician's apprentice. Sorry, and uh, the witch's familiar. It's from the season nine Doctor Who soundtrack with Murray Gold, and this is a great little um, triple disc. I think no four disc compilation, um, which has also got uh, posters in the back, little mini posters Aww. for each individual episode, all done in a sort of a particular stylistic fashion that um, that fits the oh, story. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll pass that over. <laughs> I do miss... Um, that is something I miss about getting CDs and records and stuff, is when liner was, notes and things. When was the last time you bought a CD? Uh, I honestly don't know. A really, really long time ago. Well, Ten years ago? It's something that uh, collectors do for Doctor Who in particular, so... And mm. soundtracks, because there's nothing quite like having the actual soundtrack there to... These are Cool, these, uh, yeah, 
messages yeah. forget people it's a forget nice that. Touch. Yeah. Although you can get digital downloads of the liner notes as well. Yeah. But you know, I'm glad that the BBC still puts these out, and they, these ones come through Silver Screen Records, who are uh, uh, one of the known big labels for soundtracks. Mm. Anyway. Um, Back to The Woman Who Fell to Earth, Rob Jan here. And Megan McHugh. And we're talking about the first episode of uh, Season 11, Doctor Who, that came out last week and is available on iView. Uh, the second episode has already um, come out on iView, been played in the UK, and it will be on tonight at uh, 5.55. Mm-hmm. The last week's episode, the first one, ran for about 63 minutes, which yeah, is a little long for... Um, a Doctor Who episode, but they often do that for new sort of ones. Uh, I actually thought it, it ran a tiny bit too long. Oh, it, okay. It trimmed a little bit out of it. Uh, but the pace was actually slower than the sort of breakneck neck pace that they normally have for Doctor Who. Now, okay. we're used to it being a single episode. Maybe they'll do it a two-parter, but it really they really push through it. Uh, because Doctor Who comes from a tradition of multi-episodes, yeah. everything from two-parters to 12-parters, wow. which used to be so enormously padded. I love how the British just like to do their own <laughs> thing with TV series. It's like, yes, this season is two episodes long, yeah. or it's like a, a, a joint, yeah, 12-parter. Yeah. <laughs> um did it give you everything that you needed to know about the character? Because you've, you've not watched Doctor Who before. No. So I actually think this is probably, and this is intentional, no doubt, hmm. a very good entry, soft entry for people who, are like me, haven't really watched any Doctor Who before. I would think you probably don't even, like I said, I kind of know around the peripheries. I know enough. Um, but I think even if you came in knowing very, very little, you'd be fine. You kind of pick it up as you go along. Mm. And I think there's probably enough saturated in pop culture that you've got plenty to go on already. Mm. Like you kind of get the gist that Doctor's changed, that's what's happening here. And you can piece together enough from what happened in the last episode of the previous season, which I haven't watched, to figure out, put enough of the pieces together. But it didn't really try, it didn't hit you over the head with exposition. So I think it was quite nicely well done. Well, you've got um, the, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty basic really. She's a time traveller. In, in in space as well as time, using that police box as her ship, um, which she doesn't have at the moment. So there's one thing we haven't actually seen in the first episode, at least, the new TARDIS interior. That's another iconic change. Yeah. All that's very set up nicely, very quickly. Mm. Like, she, it's very clear what she does and doesn't have. Mm. I thought that was good. Just very neat. Yes. Um, as I said, I really liked the way that they that, that they gave her her Tony Stark um, makerish moment to build yeah. this sonic screwdriver out of bits and pieces on a, a workbench, and to be fair, a whole bunch of components from an alien um, travel machine. Mm, so that she helps. she got the high tech part <laughs> of it there, but. She made the uh, the casing out of um, spoons. Mm. So there's a joke about Sheffield Steel there, which is a very old joke, but um, also a joke about spoons because uh, Peter Capaldi's doctor once fought a duel against a man with a sword using a spoon. Ah. And the seventh doctor used to play the spoons. That's, that's uh, quite nice because it... There's a lot of that. It goes with... Because uh, you pick up enough when she sort of explains about where she's at with her. What do you, what, what's the Doctor Who term? Transformation. Whatever Re- regeneration. It is. Regeneration. Yeah. Um, 
And so you kind of understand how that all works. Like she talks a little bit about, you know, who she was and then figuring out who she's going to be. So it's quite nice. It's, it's interesting the way they did that. Um, there have been various, you know, because there's been a lot of regenerations now over the mm. years. And originally it was a dodge that they used just to change actors. Yeah. But now it's become locked a into the law. A special part of the, the law. Yeah. And the way they did it this time, sometimes there's quite a – it can last almost a season. The doctor's not quite right. Right. Um, but in this case, she dropped into place fairly quickly. Like which ones were weird? Like took uh, a while. Peter Davison's one, there was a lot of mucking around with zero cabinets that he had to be sort of held in while he was working his – issues out and you know there's a few been a few ones where it's been quite complicated uh and and another thing i thought about this episode it didn't feel like they were dragging all of the complex baggage of the other 11 seasons because um doctor who has gone from being a story of the week a serial of the week sort of thing with very light connections between the different Mm. stories to something that's as complicated and as story arc driven as anything else yeah. on television, you know, like Breaking Bad or anything yeah, at all. Yeah. That, it's really been complicated. And I feel that sometimes you actually do need to come out of it and simplify things. Yeah. Otherwise you're just dragging this huge... You've still got it there to reference if you want to. Yeah. I like. I kind of like that model and I think... From what I understand, this season is going to be a bit more contained stories. They say. They say. Who knows? They do lie. But it could be that <laughs> X-Files thing where it is contained stories, but there's like a continuation thread. Mm. And I think that's going to be quite nice as, like you said, kind of a fresh change for old fans. And for me, that's a very, you know, I don't have to be like, oh, God, so what are they talking about now? Who is this person that's apparently very significant? And like kind of try to play catch up. It's a little bit like um, Pixar films. <laughs> Because, okay. you know, if you're an adult, you can watch a Pixar film mm. and and there'll be a whole layer of jokes that that's are left good. over for you. That's quite nice. I was wondering where you are going with that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. So, I agree. So the old Doctor Who fans are the adults. Mm. And, <laughs> and, oh, I see. I'm the child. I'm the drooling minion lover. I no. understand. <laughs> no, I think that's very true. It's like when adults... It's like when kids watch The Simpsons. Mind you, some of the reactions to the gender swap have been far less an adult, I've got to say. That's disappointing, isn't it? Yeah. Have you, are you very much aware of kind of what the fan response has been to the new episode? Oh, it's, 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 it's as diverse as you could imagine it would I guess be. that's it, yeah. You know, there's, but I feel generally that, that people are so far happy. I liked her. I really think that she did a good job. She's very charismatic, mm. very clear character, even though, like, she's not flaky, but she's energetic. And she's obviously very, um, I don't know, she's no nonsense, but fun. Yeah. I think it's a really good mixture of everything, I think. And so far she's not um, as tragic as some of the other doctors have been during their, their era. Towards the end, um, things get quite dark. Mm. And, uh, I think that she's come into this all fresh. And yeah. So I yeah. think I like that. Um, and, and it's actually appropriate to talk about the, her costume change. Yeah. Sometimes it's a bit manky. It's like, uh, you know, um, Scarlett Johansson comes in and she's playing the Black Widow and she's this assassin. Yeah. And the first question she gets asked is about her, her beauty regime and her cleansing. And but like I said, like with this new Doctor, when I, I asked like what outfit was, I would ask that if that was a man because I know that's part of the, yeah. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anyone should ask Jodie Whittaker, you know, 
I don't know, some other stupid question they ask women when women try to do things. Um, but, yeah, so I think the outfit change was, was a good moment. I love the fact that they just whipped it up from the contents of an op shop. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, and I thought it was doubly ironic that a woman finally found that she had more than enough po- pockets in her garment, which was um, the jacket that the old doctor yeah. had. But they're all empty. Yeah. Which is even weirder for the doctor. He has so much stuff in his pockets. All different, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to get used to saying she. Uh, that's about the only thing that's going to be a little tricky for me, you know. Yeah, that's... I mean, and I guess hmm. when you... Yeah. Yeah, it's not an, I- an issue. It's just an interesting gear change. Because you're used to talking about, yeah, the yeah. doctor and then you say he. Yeah. Well, there you go, Rob. Yeah. It's new world. Hmm, just thought of that. <laughs> oh, thank you for the episode title, The Woman Who Fell to Earth, giving Zero G its weekly David Bowie reference without even having to try, <laughs> which is, of course, the uh, the old uh, was it Nicholas Rogue movie from 1963 with David Bowie in it. I didn't realise he directed that. Yeah, yeah. He directed one of the movies that has haunted me until um, my dying day. Sorry. Nin- don't look now, I think. 1976, the book. That was based on was 1963. Uh. Don't ring. <laughs> don't ring. Because <laughs> I won't pick it up. That's only for the um, uh, for the use of the police and the advice and assistance of the public. Oh, well, there you go. I didn't realise <laughs> he did The Man Who Fell to Earth. But, yes, you're quite right. Mm. Easy entry into a David Bowie ref. Mm. So I'm not going to use anything from that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but more riffing off the uh, the next thing we'll discuss. But but we'll, we'll get to that eventually. Um, so... Other things, the companions. Oh, we yeah, what were your three, thoughts? Three new companions. Uh, we have uh, Bradley Walsh playing Graham, a retired bus driver. Um, now, he's uh, actually an English actor, comedian and singer, TV presenter and uh, former <laughs> pro footballer. But he's also he was also in an episode of The Other Doctor who's been off the Sarah Jane Adventures. Oh. Uh, and um, he's quite a popular um, personality, and I think he'll do quite well in the role of an older Doctor Who companion. Yes. So, yay. Do they do that? Have <laughs> they done that before? Um, actually, Peter Capaldi's been... Re- oh, Bernard Crippens was um, sort of a companion. Uh, you know, it depends. Mm. It's, not, it's not usual because um, there's a lot of running around and... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's not that old. <laughs> yeah, I can take a bus. I, I like the kind of way they've put his character in there. Um, he's uh, he's the older guy. Uh, he actually does have a bit of life experience. Like mm. it was critical in this episode for knowing where things was because he was a bus driver. Um, are they all going to have Sheffield sort of northern accents? I would think so. Because that's where the area was that they were in. Uh, anyway... Um, so I think he'll do well, and he th- he had a his uh, his wife mm. was the um, almost like the butt kicking chick <laughs> for the story. Yeah, but uh, alas, she is no longer with us, uh, and that was another point. I liked the way that they went; they stuck with the consequences of this story. Yeah, and they even went to the funeral. Yeah, I thought that was a great and pleasant, well, unpleasant thing, but th- that they did that. Yeah. It showed a touch that um, some shows just they just burn for breeze it. over that. Yeah, we've also got uh, Tosin Cole playing Ryan Sinclair. What a name, Ryan <laughs> Sinclair. Uh, we've seen him before as um, uh, uh, well, just a, a, a blaster carrier in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Oh. Um, and his character has uh, dyspraxia, which is a chronic neurological disorder. 
beginning in childhood, which can affect the planning of movements and coordination as a result of brain messages not being accurately transmitted to the body. So we did see that in the episode. He's having trouble trying to learn to ride a bike. Mm. Um, It's an interesting thing. I don't know if they're going to hang the entire character's persona around that. I I doubt it. Mm. Uh, But otherwise, he's just um, uh, a young guy, um, possibly not too... Uh, wise in the way of th- ways of the world. Like at this a stage. little naive, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so he seemed that way to me. He's probably going to be the guy who gets told to don't wander off and don't touch anything. Yeah, well, I mean, he did press a bunch of stuff that he probably shouldn't have pressed and That's poked true. at things that he shouldn't have poked at. Yeah, so he's definitely the and one. And threw a bike off a cliff. Yeah, he's you know without hitting anyone. So. He's not the most mature, but I mean, likable. <laughs> He's yeah, likeable enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they all are. Uh, and um, Mandip Gill, who plays uh, policewoman Yasmin Khan, um, and she's uh, dealt with doctors before on shows like Casualty and Doctors. Uh, I know nothing much else about her, apart from the fact that I think she did quite well yeah. in this one. And yeah. it's not an unlikely um, scenario to encounter a first responder in anything to do with the doctor. Mm. Um, it's happened before uh, in Torchwood. Uh, Gwen Cooper, and the first time we saw um, uh, one of the other ones, um, she was doing a um, a singing policewoman gig. Oh. So it's, it seems to be kind of, you know, a little bit... Um, and I think there's been another policeman way, way back uh, as a companion a long time ago. But anyway... Um, Yes, uh, we're still waiting to see the TARDIS interior, and yes. I can't wait to see that because I want. To I think to that's today. Maybe they maybe today. That. Well, I I don't know if they're going to be find the TARDIS for the first season. There is precedent for that. Okay. Um, the Doctor has been um, marooned on Earth at least once for a long period in John Pertwee's era, mm. but he actually did have the TARDIS there. He just couldn't fly it. He wasn't allowed to fly it. Interesting show that it has all of its own like mythology and things that get carried on but it has a built-in opportunity to kind of refresh itself every few years yeah it's not like um say for example uh, i was referencing comic books before i like say iron man for example uh it's the same guy generally yeah over the just need fresh takes on it which means you have to reboot the character every now and then reboots really yeah but this one you just reskin him yeah and it kind of keeps going (laughs) yeah it's interesting So I I think that uh, it was a pretty solid regeneration story, really, especially compared with some of the others. Mm. And remembering that these are really two parters straddling two different uh, incarnations of the Doctor. So you really have to look at both of them. Okay. Um, And Capaldi's swan song exit was so jam-packed with back references with not one but two masters and um, the classic Cyberman um, element in there as well. Oh, I know what they are. And the mentoring presence of the first Doctor, yeah, they're Borg, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I didn't feel like we needed any of that sort of stuff to, to flow into this one, but there are a lot of Easter eggs in there if you care to go hunting for them. Uh, and I don't know. I just I'm thinking, yeah, I'm I'm in in for this. Now he's my. I mean, I know I'm going to continue on. Are you? Yeah, and I was thinking about that. I quite enjoyed it. I really okay. enjoyed the first episode. I liked the tone of it. Like I think. That really um, appealed to me. I like her in the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I like all the companions. I think I like that they're doing something a little bit different with that dynamic, and I think they all have a good dynamic together. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think I will keep watching it. 
And I think especially if I can keep watching the next few episodes and it, it doesn't require too much too existing much knowledge. The weight um, of the past. Yeah, which is something that I wouldn't normally say because I like when shows have that maturity. Mm. But as a, someone who's trying to get into it now... Well, how are you supposed to? I mean, you know, there are, there, are, there are bloody essays written on how to get into Doctor Who if you've never watched it. And that's Seriously. it. I think, I think it's, it's difficult. I think it is a show that's very... And that's probably why it is, has been a gap for me because I mm. wasn't sure where to start or I wasn't really sure, you know, and I think that... It felt like it was a big undertaking. Well, it is. Even even if you just watched New Doctor Who, that's 11 years' worth of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that can take a while to get through. And I think, you know, I wasn't sure if I could just pick up, you know, just pick up, like, you know, oh, I like Peter Capaldi. Can I just pick up his seasons or mm. whatever? And I think this one has specifically been built for people like me who maybe want to give this a go. Mm. Um, so maybe it's time. It's time, it's yes. time. <laughs> But, yeah, I'll keep watching. I enjoy it so far. We'll see. We'll see. Well, let's go with a track from David Bowie's Heroes, and this is a, a remastered version. Uh, it's Beauty and the Beast, and I use this not so much with um, <laughs> thinking of Jodie Whittaker and Peter Capaldi. Um, and really, you know, Jodie Whittaker is not that beastly. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Capaldi ain't that beautiful. <laughs> But surface uh, elements aside, I'm more thinking about the contrast between good and evil in um, context of what we're going to look at next. So here we are with Mr. Bowie's Beauty and the Beast. Hello, this is Peter Davison. I played the Fifth Doctor. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Interesting. This thing is smaller on the inside than it is on the outside. Sorry, mustache. Yes, and that we was uh, Mr. Bowie with Beauty and the Beast, the man who fell to earth there. All right, so here we are on Zero G. We've talked about the new Doctor Who. I'm so chuffed this, it's all happening again. I know, it's back into <laughs> the season. Every, and we were just talking about how I get to be involved now because every sort of new Doctor, Rob runs through each episode and does the recap and I kind of, you know, I'm like, I like hearing about this, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so now I can chip in every now and then. Now you can. Um, and uh, Penny Dreadful. Now, this is a free season show. It, it was um, cancelled after free or brought to a conclusion, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how you look at it. Uh, it's on Netflix. Um, and it's a British-American horror drama television series. Uh, John Logan is the um, the showrunner alongside Sam Mendes. And John Logan is... Um, the guy who wrote the script for Star Trek Nemesis, oh dear, okay. but Gladiator as well, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other things too. Um, but in this case, um, he's uh, also did uh, oh the Aviator, I should say, and, and did the uh, oh. um, uh, adapted the screenplay for Hugo from the the book. Uh, he also worked on the Time Machine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going up, we're going down, we're going up, we're going down. The Last Samurai and Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, which I actually think that um, Sweeney Todd's a really good uh, touchstone for the, for the tone of... Um, yeah. Penny Dreadful, which of course refers the to the old style pulp um, novels that they used to put out in the Victorian era, and that they were actually literally they were a penny each, and they were really okay. dreadful, you know. So, <laughs> uh, 
but there were salacious and horrific subject matters and true crime and all that kind of stuff. And what we've got with Penny Dreadful is a pastiche. Now, you know I love a good pastiche. Yes. Um, and this is in the same league as Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, Kim Newman's Anno Dracula, mm-hmm. um, going back further, Philip Jose's Farmer's uh, Wald Newton Universe in, in, in uh, stories, um, Warehouse 13 in a more modern context, where basically they're m- mashing up a whole bunch of historical f- and literary and fictional characters. Yep. Marvel's been doing this for years of its own heroes. Yes. DC too, they mix and match with those. Uh, and Universal Pictures did it more or less of its monsters back in the mid-20th century, its monster movies, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman. Get everyone involved in the party. Yep. Yeah. In fact, there was a mad monster party where they were all involved. They have been trying to do that since uh, Van Helsing and The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Oh, yeah. And we've seen that awful Tom Cruise one and, you know, it's just they just cannot get it to... Yeah, which is the Tom Cruise one? The Tom Cruise Mummy. Oh, The Mummy, yeah. They have not been able to... um, Get it right. Get the Wolfman. They just can't do it, you know? And I guess that's the energy of what they thought they might do with the Kong Skull Island. You know, they had that little... Oh, yeah. You know, trying to do that with the big monsters. The Kaiju. Yeah, like kind of that vibe. Pacific Rim, uh, Godzilla and Skull Island are all going to come together. Get everything involved. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And what they've done is, with Penny Dreadful, is precisely the monster route. And Mm -hmm. they've done it so elegantly, beautifully. I'm so pleased with this show. Um, All of the characters in there are played by really fine actors. The dialogue is terrific. Oh, it is to die for, and often that's the result of it. Uh, I'll introduce you to some of the characters in Penny Dreadful. There's Reeve Carney playing Dorian Gray. Yes, that Dorian Gray with the portrait in the attic. Mm -hmm. Um, Oddly enough, Reeve Carney's known for uh, originating the role of Peter Parker in Spider-Man in the Spider-Man musical. Um, for all that's worth. But he's also played um, Riff Raff in the television film, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh. Let's do the time warp again. Uh, he's he is so he's ageless, he's immortal, and he's such a decadent <laughs> charmer of a fellow. Uh, this is a very adult series as well, so there's lots of, lots of sex and violence in it. Yep. Uh, and it's on Netflix, so they can get away with it. <laughs> uh, it's also on Stan. Yes, that's right. Timothy Dalton, um, who was uh, in Flash Gordon, Doctor Who. He's played a timeline in Doctor Who. Um, he was Rhett Butler in the Golden with the Wind sequel, Scarlet. Uh, he was in Hot Fuzz. He played a villain in The Rocketeer. He is playing um, Sir Malcolm Murray, uh, who's a, an African uh, explorer. He's Well, you know, he's a British explorer who goes to Africa. Um, and he's trying to save some of his family members from being slaughtered okay. or vampirized in, in this case. He is such a, a great mixture of cad and hero. Uh, he's gone a bit to seed. He's exactly like the Alan Quatermain character in um, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is played by Sean Connery in the, mm-hmm. uh, in the disappointing movie. film. Um, <laughs> but he doesn't have the the um, the addiction to drugs that the Quatermain character did in the, uh, in the actual... Um, graphic novels of League. Uh, Eva, Eva Green plays... Is it Ava or Eva? Eva. Eva Green plays um, Vanessa Ives. Oh, she has... She's like magnetic. Ives. Eva, Eva's Ives. 
eyes in this case. Oh, you watch her eyes in this show and they're so scary. Um, she has links to uh, the Dracula um, mythology from mm. the um, Bram Stoker book that will appear as they go through. The first season is very vampire-orientated. Okay. The second season is witches. I'm not sure about the third season. Can I, I'm, not, I'm not up to that yet. Interesting. Uh, she played, Eva Green played, um, oddly enough, uh, a witch in the Dark Shadows film, the Tim Burton one. Hmm. She played Angelique. And there's a witch called Angelique as well in In, in this the one. series. Yeah, so she's also uh, Miss Peregrine in the uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. And in that Camelot series we talked about before in context of Doctor Who and played the really fine, nasty villainess um, Artemisia in um, the 300 sequel. Uh, she is just amazing. And she's great. she is playing a role in this story that makes me fear for the actor's safety and sanity at times. Um, really, really pushes the envelope there. She wow. is amazing in this. Uh, we've also got um, uh, Rory Kinnear, who's doing a beautiful, wonderful, nuanced interpretation of the Frankenstein's monster. Um, this is a character who you are going to be going, oh, every <laughs> other second, as long as you're not going ill, when he kills someone exceptionally violently. <laughs> because he is the Frankenstein's monster, well, abandoned by his creator. Yeah. You know, shunned by society, but he's able to get a stable job in um, backstage at a theatre. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, they're actually kind of referencing a bit of Phantom of the Opera there too with oh, that character. Oh, okay, I see. Um, Billy Piper, one of our Doctor Who companions, yes. uh, is playing... Um, a dual character in this. I won't go too far into that because if you haven't watched it, it might spoil it for you. But she's basically an Irish immigrant who's been uh, forced into prostitution in London in the Victorian era. Not a good gig. Um, she's dying of consumption. Mm. She's played a prostitute before, of course, Billy Piper in... Um, um, a sex worker. That, yeah, so... Well, that's what they just call it. They don't use sex worker in this. It's Okay, all right. So we're using the series language. We're that's using fine. the series that's language. Fine. Uh, but, yeah, good point. Um, we also have uh, uh, an actor called Danny Sapani who's playing uh, an ally of Sir Malcolm. We've seen him in Black Panther, Last Jedi, The Crown oh. and um, Misfits as well. Um, I'm just – sorry, just a note when you are mentioning Billy Piper's character. I'm following along here just having a little look at the cast list mm. and I noticed IMDb does do that thing where they – it, you can see they play a dual character, but they don't show the second, I guess, so they don't ruin it for good. you. Good. That's a good That's idea. That's quite good. Uh, anyway, another sorry. Another <laughs> wonderful actor, Harry Tread, Treadaway, playing Dr. Victor Frankenstein, mm. who's playing Frankenstein as an enthusiast, uh, which is the way that Kenneth Bradder did it in his um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein movie, and I really enjoyed that. Interesting. As a, as a maker who's um, just got gone a bit too far. Yeah. Uh, but also he's got this, because this is a very psychosexual show, so there's all these strange erotic elements woven in and, and like out of it. And charged relationships and things like that. Quite literally in the Frankenstein case <laughs> with electrodes and um, lightning bolts. Uh, Josh Hartnett, and I can always forget his character name, but Ethan Chandler, he's um, uh, an American sharpshooter. Uh, in fact, he's been in Western shows in the 19th century. Uh, he's also a werewolf. Oh, 
<laughs> um, good reason. So it's good reason why he doesn't like particular violence. But they hire him into this group of of uh, people as as muscle, basically. And uh, well, there's a whole bunch of other people in there, including um, Wes Studi, who I've seen in so many different things. Um, David Warner appears. Lots of guest actors who come in. The tone is wonderful. The sets are incredible. They, you know, um, my partner was walking past the other day when I had a freeze frame on the witch's coven's lair. Yeah. And it just looked amazing. It was like <laughs> this elaborate, ah, uh, oh, it's just incredible to see. Uh, and the, the, the recreation of the Victorian era is convincing. Uh, you probably find things wrong with it. The costumes are great. I mean, we're not, it's not historically accurate. I mean, it is about vampires. Vampires and, things, and werewolves. So I think and, they're yeah. allowed some liberties. Yeah. The acting is first rate. It's sinisterly subtle or spectacularly scenery choosing as required. Um, these The monsters are well realised with some great new riffs, I thought. Cool. Uh, it's theatrically Victorian without too much steampunkery. Mm. Um, but it is a world where science and superstition walk hand in hand. And the dialogue. Uh, at one stage, Vanessa's being examined by Dr Frankenstein, who puts his stethoscope on a chest and she says, it's cold. And he says, I'm sorry, I always forget that with the living. <laughs> <laughs> You know, somebody says to Sir Malcolm, uh, this is not for the faint-hearted, and he says, my heart's never fainted. <laughs> you know. Oh, and at one stage, um, Dr Frankenstein is counselling a bereaved person, a recently bereaved person under circumstances that are less than ideal <laughs> in this case. And um, he says, he says uh, you know, consoling him, uh, spend your time with her, uh, don't worry, I'll take care of the body. <laughs> soothing. <laughs> Very soothing. Uh, season two gets even better where we um, find out Vanessa's really dreadful origin story. Mm, oh, I bet you she has yes, a pretty... That's terrible. A corker. But beautifully done too. Um, yeah, Penny Dreadful, if you haven't seen it. Now, it is on Stan. It is on Stan. It is on Stan. It is is on Stan. Why am I yes. thinking Netflix? We don't, we don't want to mislead. But, yes, it's on Stan. Okay. Uh, all right, so... Uh, three seasons and then you're out of it. So mm. and they're only like, um, I think, eight average episodes in terms of that. So okay. not going to take up too much of your time. Uh, so if you like that sort of pastiche um, yeah. and want to see it well done uh, and it is a violent show, um, yes, really. It's, yeah, I think they do a lot of, from what I can tell, yeah, up the top of the description, it's always like extreme blood and gore, extreme sex scenes, all that yeah. stuff. So you know, the prosthetics people I don't care about the sex scenes; they're not worrying. But um, the the uh, but the the violence is there. Yeah. You know. So just be be aware of that. Mm. Okay, so um, I was going to actually do a review of First Man, but we've run out of time. You got all excited about Penny Dreadful. I did. I really did. Um, what can we do then? Uh, instead, well, I might just give you a quick... Maybe an overview. A quick overview. Um, do you know anything about this film? Well, I didn't realise... I knew they were making it. I remember hearing about they were going to do like a um, Neil Armstrong kind of biopic. It was going to be about the moon landing and that Ryan Gosling was attached. And then next thing I know, I saw all the posters for it. Mm. So I think it was very weird PR for that. But that's about all I know. And I did see the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they just showed me all of the key events in the trailer. But I guess, you know, spoilers aren't necessary because we all know what happens. Well, we're going to do it next week then, I guess. Mm. Uh, but I'll, I'll say for now, in terms of, uh, yeah, nah, maybe Zero G style, um, I give it a uh, uh, an all systems go. Okay. It, was a, it was a great 
tightly written movie that gave you an insight into Neil Armstrong, the man, and the family man Okay. as well. That was really, really important. It gave you a look at the, um, the Apollo moon landings and the events that led up to it that was a different one. Yeah, okay. Uh, and a really grittily realistic one too. Um, so there was like some tension and stuff, even though you kind of yeah. know... Yeah, Roughly. absolutely. Yeah, you know, you know. I mean, you know, that like, they're actually on a soundstage filming it with Stanley Kubrick out the back. So. Yeah, but it was just uh, an amazing film, and it, to me, it stands right up alongside the right stuff mm. and Apollo thirteen. And I know they all have technical and historical issues, yeah, but they're yeah. films, so you know. Yeah, I, I don't think pass on that. we should always think that these things these things just have the have to have the energy of what they're portraying. You know, in a documentary. No, exactly. Okay, so. Um, yeah, next week we'll talk about uh, First, First Man, Man a bit more, so give you a chance to go and, and see it. All right, well, that's about it for Zero G today, but I will actually go out with a track from First Man, um, and it's got a great little soundtrack uh, by Justin Hurwitz, mm-hmm. and it's the landing section. And I noticed that when he did this, uh, this there's elements that remind me a little bit of... Um, Cosmos, the themes from that. Oh, cool. Uh, but also elements that remind me a little bit of Phil Glass. And there's, I'm, I swear there's a theremin being used in places within the, uh, the soundtrack, and that's all for the good. So they kind of conjured up this 1960s uh, feeling as well as a future space age feeling too. Cool. So I like Those are that. two combo errors I um, am very into. So. Mm. so here we go, Justin Hurwitz with The Landing from First Man. Uh, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Hmm. And Joe Brenedict coming up next with Astral Glamour. You have been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.